0: Teach us, let your spirit lead and guide and give us ears to hear. Not just to hear it, not just to mark it, not just to underline it, but to really take it, apply it to our lives and go out and live it. And all we say and do, Lord, help us in your name for your glory. All righty, John 2, continuing our study here through First John. Lord willing, time willing, I'm going to do verses 3 through 11 tonight here, First John chapter 2. And I'm going to read all of it and I'm going to come back and talk about this because there's some deep stuff going on here. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him all to himself also to walk just as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which is which thing is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 1 John is a very straightforward book. And part of the reason why we are going through 1 John, if you remember from our first study in 1 John a few weeks ago, we talked about the statements of John says, the reason I am writing you. And one of the reasons is, if you look at 1 John 2, verse 1, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And there's these reasons why John is writing. And I told you one of the great things about 1 John is that First John is a book of assurance. When you read through 1 John, he makes it abundantly clear, this is what Christianity looks like. This is how it lives out. This is what it's supposed to be. I, I tell you, you'll go to a lot of churches, and there's a lot of churches where the pastor teaches from the Bible. You want to be the church that teaches the Bible. There's a big difference between teaching from the Bible and teaching the Bible. And when you teach the Bible, you really start realizing what is asked of us as Christians. This is why Jesus made it abundantly clear in the Gospels. If you choose to follow me, this is what I'm expecting. And how do you sum up what Jesus was expecting if you want to follow him? Simple. He wants absolutely every aspect of your life. That's what he wants. That's why when you see Philip and Andrew and James and John, all these guys leaving, it says they left their father. They left their nets behind. Matthew, the tax collector, left. Jesus said, if you call me Lord, then you do the things I ask. Now, the problem with this teaching, because if you read what I'm reading right here, verse 4, if you say you know him and you don't keep his commandments, you're a liar. Truth's not in you. Uh, Verse 6, he who says he abides in him ought to also himself also walk just as he walked careful, it's going to start turning into a works-based relationship. How do I know I'm a Christian? Because look at everything I do. So we have to get some balance here at the beginning. It's really important to go to these verses, so keep your hand here in 1 John. We're coming right back to it. But will you go with me please to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. I think it's important for us as believers to understand salvation. If you weren't with us last week, I highly encourage you, get online, listen to it, grab a copy of the CD. We did the first two verses of 1 John, and we talked about what it meant that Jesus is our advocate. He is our propitiation, a big fancy word. He is our mercy seat. That it's Jesus and Christ alone that saves us, nothing else. And you see that here in Ephesians uh, chapter 2. You guys know the verses, but let's look at them. Ephesians 2, please. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Let me make this abundantly clear. You are saved by grace, which is a Greek word for gift. It's a gift that God gave you through faith. It has nothing to do with you, hence verse 8, not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I want to make it abundantly clear. There is absolutely nothing you can do to save yourself. If you could do something to save yourself, there was no reason for Jesus Christ to die on the cross. That's why when Christ finished his work on the cross, he said, it is finished. He didn't say, to be continued. He didn't say, I started it for you. No, it is finished. It's complete. And if you study out that phrase, it is finished. It's a really interesting legal term in the Greek. It's done. It's completed. It's over. Your salvation is through what Jesus did and Christ did alone. And I would, to ad nauseum, will keep repeating that. It's grace. Paul talked about this in Romans. Romans chapter 4. You don't need to turn there. But I just want to read this to you. And this is out of the New Living Translation. I like the way it reads this. It says this. It says, For the scriptures tell us that Abraham believed God, and God counted it to him as righteousness because of his faith. Now when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. Can you imagine that? You get paid because you worked for it. That's where you get paid. When you get to collect your paycheck, it is works that you have earned. But people are counted as righteousness not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. You're not made right. That's what righteousness means. It's just a fancy word. You are not made right by anything you do. It's a gift. You have not earned it. You can't deserve it. You can't. So when we lay this foundation that it's by grace we have been saved, there's nothing I can do to save myself, it's all Jesus Christ, all of a sudden I get to these passages in 1 John chapter 2 then, where it's telling me, well, if I'm a believer, I do these things. So, Ma, let's go to the book of James, please. James chapter 2. Just head to the left a few books. James 2. So we just establish the fact that by grace we have been saved through faith, not of works. It's a gift of God. There's nothing we can do. Paul said in Romans, it's a gift. You can't earn righteousness. But then you get to James chapter 2 and you read verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for their body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Please remember 18. I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe But do you you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? That word perfect means complete. And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Did you catch in verse 23, James uses that same verse, Paul uses that same verse. Verse 24, you see then that a man is justified by works, not only by faith alone. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, faith without works is dead also. If you study out church history, you'll find out that there is numerous people that truly believe in grace and saved by grace alone, that this passage in James chapter 2 so completely, utterly frustrated them. Because you could take this passage and say... Hey, James, you need works to be saved. I just read it right there. Faith without works is dead. Now, some of us can say, well, no, no, no. I just read Paul. Paul just told me no works can save me in any way whatsoever. Yeah, but James, and if you read 1 John, it says this. How do we bring all this together? Both Paul and James are quoted the same verse in verse 23. Paul quotes it and says, Abraham believed, and therefore he was saved. So just believe, and you're saved. James quotes the same verse and says, Abraham believed, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, so therefore his works showed that he was saved. How do we tie this in together? How do we teach the idea that you're saved by faith and grace alone, but yet works are a part of it? I just want to lay this out for you. If you come up to me and say, hey, I'm not saved. Then you come up to me and say, hey, I am saved. But your life never changes in any way whatsoever. What exactly did Jesus save you from? Because if you're acting the exact same way before you got saved, that you're acting now, don't we have to stop and say a little bit of, well, what, what exactly did you get saved from? See, when someone gets saved, their life changes. Now, I'm not saying works saves them. I'm saying that the saved works, the changed works, the external will change because of what happened in the internal. It will. If there is no external change... What exactly did you get saved from? That's what James is trying to say. That's what 1 John is trying to say. And so Paul says, you're saved by grace alone. James says, amen. And since you've been saved by grace alone, your works will now be different. And now 1 John comes in and says, yeah, I can look at your life and see your changed life in Christ and say, you're growing deeper in the Lord. We have marks on our wall, like I'm assuming most of you do with our kids. And we mark their height. Okay? Okay? And as we mark their height twice a year, we mark it at the beginning of the school year, and we mark it in the spring, about six months apart. And we go back, and we've done this for years. Dawn has told me abundantly clear, if there's ever a house fire, I need to go get that piece of drywall. So I will die undoing drywall screws to save this. It's a beautiful picture of what? Progress. Wouldn't you like to have that a little spiritually as well? That you look back and say, wow, I've grown in the Lord. I didn't get saved more. I'm already saved. It's finished. But Lord, I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. And so what you have here in 1 John chapter 2, it's a test. If you remember your high school science, it's a litmus test. Am I really walking in the Lord? Okay. Are you really walking in the Lord? If you're really walking in the Lord, verse 3. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So someone comes up to me and says, am I a Christian? Okay, have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, according to Romans? Have you believed in your heart that God has raised him from the dead? Yeah, then you are saved. Well, I, I, I want to know, am I saved? Well, according to 1 John, what your works look like? Have you changed? I want to read you a great, great quote here by C.S. Lewis. This is out of his book, Mere Christianity. He says this, To have faith in Christ means, of course, trying to do all that he says. There would be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you would not take his advice. Thus, if you have really handed yourself over to Jesus, it must follow that you're trying to obey him, but trying in a new way, a less worried way, not doing the things in order to be saved, but because he has begun to save you already, not hoping to get to heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably wanting to act in a certain way because a first faint glimmer of heaven is already inside of you. He says you're not doing it to get saved, you're doing it because you are saved. And that's what 1 John is asking. So if you're here tonight, you are now under review. And this is not something to be scared of. This is not something to be worried about. Paul says at the end of Corinthians, he says, test yourself. See if in your faith. See where you're at. When you go through this tonight with me in 1 John, ask yourself, okay, am I doing these things? Because as a born-again believer in Christ, these are the things that I will be doing. Now, one last thing little bookend on this. Before we get into it, go with me now to Matthew 7, please. Let's talk about if we know Jesus. What's it mean to know him? I mean, does it mean just to know who he is, that he existed? Does it mean to know him in a deep, personal way? Does it mean to have knowledge of him? What's it mean to know him? Matthew 7, please. Start in verse 15 with me. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Jesus says, I can look at somebody, meaning me, and say, I can see the fruit of their life, And stop and say, hey, are they walking with the Lord? That's not judging. It's not like getting real deep. It's saying, I can see evidence in your life of you growing in the Lord. Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, let your progress be evident to all. People should be able to stop and say, hey, I see how you've changed. You speak differently than what you did. You're talking more about what you're in the word and, and, and how you're reading. You know, I just, I just see if you're talking about going out there and sharing your faith. You, you look different, you act different, you dress different. It's just, you're different. Verse 21, same chapter. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Well, now we got this passage. These guys had a pretty good spiritual resume. Prophesied in the name of Jesus, 22. Cast out demons in the name of Jesus. Did wonders. And Jesus says in verse 23, I never knew you. But then he just said in 15 through 20, Therefore by their fruits you will know them. In verse 16, you will know them by their fruits. And now it gets kind of confusing here, doesn't it? This is where the Greek language is really quite deep compared to our English language. Because there's different words being used here. If you remember, said I said, let's talk about the word know, knowing Jesus. Like you know Him, like you know Him deeply, personally as your Savior. You know Him as a historical figure. You know Him in the sense of, yeah, I've heard of Him. we we'll use the same word for each definition. The Greek doesn't do that. See, if you look back in 16 and 20, That's a different no than in 23. That's a different no. See, in 16 and 20, it's saying this. When it says that by your fruit, you will know them. That means it says by your fruit, you will know them well. You will understand them. I will look at them and say, I understand them. Because I've watched their life. And I can see that Jesus Christ is important to them. But Jesus uses a different word for no in 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. But that word can mean, it can be translated as, I never recognized you. You're you're new to me. I never met you. Can, Can you imagine that? Can you imagine living your whole life and Jesus at the time, at the end, you stand before him and Jesus says, sorry, we've never met. There's a fascinating verse in the book of Galatians where it talks about how when we get saved that we're now known by God. Think about that. God never knew us before we got saved. Now that doesn't mean that God's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He never knew us on a personal level. He didn't recognize us. Jesus is saying, I never recognized you, even though you did all these things. How could he not recognize them? Because their heart wasn't right to begin with. They had a whole lot of works. They had a whole lot of things they did. But their heart was never right in Christ. Now, I have to do this big introduction. Because if I just go back to 1 John now and say, hey, are you doing the things of a Christian? You say, yep, I'm keeping his commandments. Yeah, but do you know him? I mean, do you really know him? Not know him as an historical figure. Not know him as, yeah, I know Jesus. I'm saying, do you know him? And you can stop and say, I know Jesus Christ. And so therefore, since I know him, it changes how I live. It changes how I act. It changes everything I do because it is that much of a life change. It is the term born again. Imagine being born a second time a completely new person. You know, I've told you guys these stories before. We love to go out in the fall and we do what we call caterpillar hunts. And I've told you this story. We go out and we collect all the monarch caterpillars and we catch them and then we hatch them all out and it's just so much fun. They keep hatching. We had our first one hatched today. Now, we know this because we all grew up around here. We know how it works. You got the monarch caterpillar, it goes into the chrysalis, it comes out and it's a butterfly. But if you remember correctly, I shared you a story a couple of years ago where our youngest son, Tyrus, the first time, he saw this. It was mind blowing to him. We've been walking around this world for a few decades. It's pretty cool for us. Yeah, a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. No, when he saw it for the first time, the caterpillar goes in the J shape, becomes the cocoon, becomes out comes a butterfly. It blew him away completely. It was such a metamorphosis, such a change. It's the same word used in Romans 12, 1 and 2 to describe how our relationship with Christ changes us. We should be so changed in Jesus Christ that when people see us, they say almost, I don't even recognize you because of what Jesus Christ did in your life. And before you think that I'm preaching some type of legalism works, not doing that at all. I'm saying when you understand the grace of Jesus Christ and you understand what God has done in your life, the free gift... And being born again and being changed, it so completely, utterly changes who you are. That all of a sudden, the idea of works are not works to save us. This is just the, the natural reaction to the supernatural change that happened in my heart. Lord, I just want to go out and do things for you. I'm not doing things for you because to save me. I'm not doing things for you to prove that I'm saved. I'm doing things because I've been so changed in Jesus Christ. And it concerns me. It concerns me sometimes when I hear a gospel message preached that I think is watered down. And it's just this idea of, do you believe in God? Amen, you're saved. I'll see you in heaven. Jesus said, if you love me, you obey me. Now, once again, don't walk out of this thinking I'm preaching works. I'm not. I'm preaching a metamorphosis, a supernatural, born again, changed in your life that you stop and you say, Lord, I know you. Go back now to verse 4, 1 John 2. I know you, so I want to do what you tell me to do. How can we call him Lord and not do what he asks? Now, once again, before you think that this is too difficult, please remember how Jesus summed up what he wanted you to do in Matthew 5, 48. He said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Jesus set the bar pretty high. He says, I'm looking for one thing, guys, perfection. I can't do perfection. Jesus goes, I know. That's why I died on the cross. I took care of it for you. My righteousness made you righteous. My perfection made you perfect. And the only natural reaction to the supernatural change is for you to say, I want to go out and live for you now, Lord. Not to earn my salvation, not to prove my salvation, but faith without works is dead. Lord, I want to do it. I want to get out there. So that's what we see now in 1 John. Go back to 1 John 2, verse 3. Now, by this, we know that we know him. Now, which no are we talking about? There's three different no's in the Greek. This is the no to say, I recognize him. I know him. I've met him. By this, we know that we know him. This, I know that I know Jesus Christ. I recognize him. I've met him. Why? Because verse 3, I keep his commandments. Because I do it. I want to do it. Please jump ahead to 1 John 5. Verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, we're not to First John 5 yet. That's a whole other teaching because sometimes I feel the commandments of God are burdensome. But I stop and I say, yeah, I, I want to do what's right because I love you, Jesus. I want to do what's right because I, I just care for you. I mean, anybody has been married for a while, you know that you do things for your spouse that you really don't want to do. And you do it because you love them. You're not doing it for someone else's spouse, I sure hope. You're doing it for yours. You do things for your kids because you love them. Because you have a relationship with them. There's sacrifices I've made for Dawn. There's sacrifices I've made for my children. I'm not going to make that sacrifice for another woman. She's not my wife. I'm not going to make those sacrifices for other kids. They're not my kids. There's a relationship I have with them. And so the problem is, if you look at the commandments of God, and you say, I don't want to. James is asking you, Paul's asking you, and John's asking you, are you really saved then? Because obedience shows the changed heart. By this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, does not keep his commandments. is a liar, and the truth is not in him. That's a harsh teaching, but it's an honest teaching. If someone claims to be a Christian... And they're not walking it out. John says you need to stop and ask yourself, is the truth really in you? Now, does this mean that every time I sin and stumble, I have to stop and say, oh, man, am I saved? No, don't take it that far. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Please take a look at David in the Old Testament. David that committed murder. David that committed adultery. David that covered it up. He's also known as the man after God's own heart. I was just reading through the Gospels, and I'm looking at Peter denying Jesus left and right. Then I see Peter in the book of Acts I have to be corrected. I see Peter doing going through this. Peter gave up and went back fishing. You're still a child of God. There's times where my kids have done stuff that are not good. They're still my kids and I love them. There's times I've been a real bum of a husband and Don still loves me. Perfect love casts out fear, the Bible says. But we're asking here, if we go back to the original point we said, when we look at the height marks on the, on the, on the wall of our kids growing older, do we see progress? And I'm asking you, If there's not spiritual progress going on in your life, if there's not biblical obedience going on in your life, I'm asking you to honestly ask yourself, what's my relationship with Jesus Christ look like? Verse 4, he who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected. It means made complete in him. By this we know that we are in him. How do I know that I'm in Jesus? Because I want to obey him doesn't mean I'm perfect doesn't mean I got it all figured out but Lord I want to obey you obedience shows a relationship. There's a great uh, quote here by James Montgomery Boyce that says this the point here is that the point here is that the one who knows God will increasingly lead a righteous life for God is righteous. it does not mean that he will be sinless. John has already shown that anyone who claims this is lying. It simply means that he'll be moving in a direction marked out by the righteousness of God. If he does not do this, if he is not increasingly dissatisfied with and distressed by sin, he's not God's child. That's a straightforward point, but that's exactly what John says. He goes even one step further. Six, he who says he abides in him, lives in him, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. That's even deeper. Okay, so if I'm really a follower of you, I, I'm supposed to be living it out, continually living it out. That's what the word abide means. You know, John uses that word abide in John 15, where he stops and he says, Abide in me and I in you. And he says there's supposed to be a closeness, there's supposed to be a relationship, and I live for Christ in all that I do. And so therefore, it now affects how I walk, verse 6. It affects how I live. It's not just mere lip service. It's not me just acknowledging the idea that there's a Jesus and a God and I like the whole Christian buffet of I love the idea of heaven, I love the idea of the forgiveness of sins, I love the idea of grace and mercy, but the idea of going out and living a life for Him, nah, I kind of leave that on the table. John's speaking pretty straightforwardly right here. And this is why I wanted to start out with Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Because right now at this point, all of us are probably thinking, oh, I hope I'm in. (laughs) By grace you have been saved, through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. You're saved because of what Christ did on the cross for you. You're saved because of Jesus' love, grace, and mercy. Never, ever forget that. And since we have been saved, it changes how we live. And that's what John is trying to tell us right here. It changes how we live. And that's something we all need to stop every now and then and do some self-examination and say, Am I doing this? Am I living it out? Okay, if I'm not living it out, Lord, reveal it to me. Show it to me. Convict me. Rebuke me. Correct me. And I will repent. I will forsake. And I'll move forward in you. Now, before we get on to the other stuff here, anybody got any quick questions, comments about any of this here before we move on? I want to make this just clear. Last thing I want is for someone to leave tonight thinking and preaching some type of workspace thing. It's grace, guys. Never forget the beauty of grace. Alrighty. See what happens next. Verse 8. Excuse me, verse 7. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He now brings up light and darkness, which we'll finish with. But did you catch verse 7 and 8? John, I write no new commandment to you. 8, again, a new commandment I write to you. Okay, you've got to figure this out here, John. <laughs> you know? I got nothing for you new. Oh, I got something new for you. Once again, this is the beauty of understanding the English language versus the other language there. There's different words for new in the Bible. So when you read new in the Bible, it means different things. There's new, which means new. A baby is born. That's new. That is something brand new. There's that term for new. That's not what this is saying right here. This word for new is an interesting word, and it means something new, meaning something new fresh so that's what john is saying verse 7 i'm not writing anything new to you it's old what am i writing to you from john thirteen, thirty four where jesus says a new commandment i give to you love he's now going to start talking about love here because the question comes up then how do i know i'm walking in the lord what fruit am i supposed to be producing what works am i supposed to be doing doing love and so Jesus makes it abundantly clear. John thirteen thirty four. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Think about that. That's what he wants from you, is love. Now we joked a little bit about this on Sunday. If you look at the description that Jesus is looking for, compared to what the world describes, <sighs> Jesus was looking for somebody who's loving, who's meek, who's gentle. That's what he's looking for. Now, from a world perspective, we're looking for somebody rough, tough, and doesn't back down. Jesus goes, no, I want loving, meek, and gentle. And we joked on Sunday, that doesn't sound very complimentary. That if somebody comes up to me and says, what do you think of James? Oh, he's very gentle. He's very meek. He's very loving. Like I said, Sunday makes me sound like a wuss. But you know, that's what I'm saying. The Bible says, loving, gentle, and meek is what we're supposed to be. Jesus says, the commandment I give to you is love people. So John is saying in 7, this is not a new commandment. You've heard it from the beginning. But verse 8, it's fresh. It's fresh. And there's something fresh about it. It just invigorates you. It changes you. Because all of a sudden you realize, wait a second. Every interaction I'm supposed to have with people is based on love. That changes how I do. That means I really shouldn't come home from work and have hatred towards people. I'm supposed to love them. That means I really shouldn't look at my spouse and say, I can't stand him or her. No, I'm supposed to love him. That means that person that cuts you off in traffic, that person that cuts you off in the line, the person that does this or that, that it's so easy to allow hate to come up. No, the fresh commandment is love. Any time you go down that route mentally, you're walking in darkness. Verse 9, He who says he is in light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there's no cause for stumbling in him. He who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. It completely blows me away when I run into somebody who claims to be a Christian, and when you talk to them, they start talking about things they can't stand, and everything they do is just complaining. They can't stand their spouse, they can't stand with their hand, their doubt dealt in life, they can't stand their health, they can't stand their coworkers, and it's just walking in darkness. And they can't stand life. Why can't they start and stand life? Verse 11, they don't even know where they're going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Have you ever been in a spiritual season of blindness? I'm willing to bet you had a lot of darkness in your life at that moment. Probably frustrated at life, frustrated at people, frustrated at God, and you convinced yourself that you had every right to be that way. Well, John says you're walking in darkness and you're blind and you don't even know where you're going. man. This is some pretty straightforward stuff. And so really what it sums up is this. John, in these eight short verses, says this. Litmus test. How are your height marks on the wall? First one he asks you is this. Verse 3. Are you keeping the commandments of God? Is there an obedience to your Lord and Savior? If not, ask yourself, verse 4, am I a liar or is the truth not in him? Verse 5, am I keeping the word of God? Because I know that's how I'm made complete in Christ. Am I walking like Jesus walked? Verse 6. Am I loving like Jesus loves? Am I in the light? Verse 10. Or am I walking in darkness? Would you please go with me to Psalm 139. The beauty of going verse by verse through the Bible is sometimes you run across passages like this in 1st John where typically normally you wouldn't teach this type of stuff but it needs to be taught every now and then it needs to be taught to understand what a relationship with Christ is now I'm going to say again probably for the 50th time tonight Ephesians 2 8 9 for by grace you have been saved through faith it is not of yourself it's a gift of God not by works lest any man should boast but I'm also going to tell you what James said in James chapter 2. Show me your faith by your show me your faith by your works. I'm going to tell you what Paul said in Corinthians where he says test yourself see if Christ is in you. I'm going to tell you what John said in 1 John chapter 2. He says if you know him obey him. So let's have an honest time of reflection and prayer here. Take a look at Psalm 139 23 and 24. Search me O God know my heart try me no, my anxieties. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Ask him. Lord, I, I'm claiming I know you. If you're here on Wednesday night, I mean, I know the food was good tonight, but seriously, you're, you're here, I, hope, I think, to learn about Jesus, I hope. <laughs> Maybe you're just here for the food, I don't know. But the point is, you're here. You have a desire, I hope, to grow and go deeper. You're giving up an evening. I applaud you for that. And so if you're here because you're willing to ask and say, Lord, I want to grow, I'm also asking you to do this. Have an honest time of prayer with him right now and say, Lord, search me and know my heart. Try me, know my anxiety, see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's time to say, Lord, do I really know you? And if I do know you, then Lord, am I living it out? Not just talking about it, but am I living it out? Because I want to go out there and, and to be crazy for you. The the world is full, full of Christians that will keep a seat warm on a Sunday. There's no problem about that. But we don't have a lot of Christians that are willing to get off the seats and say, hey, let's go change the world for Jesus Christ. There's a darkness out in that world. And as we go in that world, we get to explain light to them and say, let me shine the light of Christ in your life. And you can choose to accept it or reject it. That's your call but I want to shine the light into everybody I run into. I want to encourage my wife. I want to encourage my kids. I want to set the example. Lord, I want to go out and do it. And I'm not doing it to earn my salvation. I'm not doing it to make sure I'm saved. And I'm not doing it to earn more favor with God. There's nothing I can do to make God love me more than what He loves me right now. I'm just doing it because I love Him. And let's go out and live it and all say we do. Now, what I want to do here this evening to kind of close is something a little different than what we we normally do. Are you able to, Marv go up and... Do you know a song? Can you, what, can you do um, uh, the Matt Mara song? Yeah. I asked the worship team to come back up, and they're going to do uh, the song "Lord, I Need You." Now they're going to just play for a while, and you guys let the Spirit lead when it comes to that. If you got something where you search and you try and you say, "Lord, there's iniquity in my heart," I just encourage you. You, you can do it from your seat. That's fine. You could come up here and we could pray with you. You can come up here and you can just pray by yourself right here in front of the stage if you want. And just, Lord, it's all yours. You can also stop and say, I, it's time for me to go. That's between you and the Lord. But I just want to give you that opportunity. And I believe it's important to stop every now and then and have these times where we say, Lord, search us and try us. See if there's any iniquity in us. Maybe you want prayer. If you want prayer, you come up and grab me and I'll pray with you. If you just want to come up on your own and pray, come up on your own. If you just want to stay back in your seats, you stay back in your seats. So if you've got to get going, you get up and get going. We're going to just let the Spirit lead here. We're going to let them lead us out in some worship. And as they do that, we're just going to be available for prayer and whatever the Lord has in store. So let's just open our hearts right now. Lord, as we just come to you now, search us and try us. See if there's any iniquity in us. Lead us in the way of everlasting. Lord, we're only righteous through you. We're only perfect through you. We're only made right in you. Help us to never fight for our salvation have to work for our salvation it's just you but lord if there's something in us if there's a darkness in us right now that we're not in the light we want to confess that to you we want to give that to you we want to be the body of christ that is wanting to live for you in all that we say and do so lord search us try us see if there's any iniquity in us lead us in the way of everlasting and let this be a time of worship to you lord in prayer to you If you need to go, go ahead and go. If you want to come up and pray on your own, you can. Come up and pray with me, whatever you want. So, get us out in some worship, Marv.